Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to six, A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4-6 to six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. Bill Landis with Ari Wasserman. We have a lot to get to, so we're going to jump right into it. We're doing subscriber mailbag questions. we got an offensive line slash tight end preview for our position group previews. If you would like to ask a question, theathletic.com slash 4-6 still gets you $1 per month. You can submit the questions there. You can submit them through Apple if you leave a five-star review with a question. We'll answer that. Ari, are you ready? I looked at the questions, and i got to say I'm pretty excited about this episode. Yeah, there's some good ones. There's some good ones. There's a lot of Let's food ones. Right that's it. why. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. A couple, couple food ones. A couple really good food ones, yeah. All right, let's get into it. All right, go ahead. First question from Nathan T., who are your possible surprise breakout players at each position? Okay, so do you want to just go position by position right now? Or yeah, do you want to like remove the obvious ones? My breakout player for quarterback is Justin Fields. Is Justin Fields. Well, that's that's what makes it hard. It has to be a surprise. It's like, does anyone, no one's really going to surprise. No, I know. I so I think that the appropriate – so let's just go down the list, okay? I okay. think the appropriate answer would be one of the freshmen who are going to come out and, and maybe take reins of like what the future might hold. So I think my answer – to make it more interesting would be C.J. Stroud. I'm, I'm really excited to see um, how these guys play in what will inevitably be blowout mop time, mop-up time. And I think Ryan Day, and you've agreed to this in the past, has to figure out a way to get these guys on the field, both of them. And it might uh, be to the detriment of Gunnar Hoke, who might be the most pure backup who goes into a game to save the day if it, if it comes to that. But in terms of getting reps for younger guys, I think Ohio State has to find out what they have and uh, right now, it just seems like the more educated guess to go with Stroud at the quarterback position. I think the biggest possible surprise would be that Jack Miller looks better than C.J. Stroud, or even that Jack Miller makes it look closer than maybe we're anticipating. I think almost everybody, if you ask them who's going to be the number two quarterback, who's going to succeed Justin Fields, the pick would be Stroud. So anything that Jack Miller can do to either make that not the case or make that a closer competition than we're anticipating, I think would be a surprise. But Stroud would be my answer, too. And, and the thing about Miller is... Uh, he just has to be healthy. I think if he can be healthy for a year, uh, 18 months, which is something that he wasn't fortunate enough to have during his high school career, maybe he can get some momentum. I mean, we, we forget that he once was a top 100 player. And he yep. did fall in the rankings a little bit because of injuries, and it's easy to assume that Ohio State's higher on Stroud because of the way that the recruitment's played out. But he's still a really good football player. And once you get on campus, there, there's a competition there. And, you know, the, the only thing I can say I, I could hope for this season is that we'll get to see both and, and be able to, like, come up with our own opinions on how that would play out by seeing it with our own eyes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, running back. My guy's Mayan Williams. I think little that's bo- a little bowling ball. 
Yeah, and I know that uh, Mark Mayan Williams is somebody that filled in a a need at the running back position late in the 2020 class and now, now might be in a surprising position to play a little bit. Um, but I, I want to know uh, more about Marcus Crowley, and I know that he's kind of banged up and injuries from last year have carried over into into the the fall, but in the limited amount of time that Crowley had a year ago, he looked really good, I thought. He looked like he had some speed. He was an, He was a nice little player. And, you know, I know that Steel Chambers has kind of fallen out of the – of the discussion a little bit, and maybe he'll get moved back to linebacker if he doesn't fit in. But the obvious answer here is the new guy, Trey Sermon, and you had a nine thousand word film study about him on on Thursday. Uh, when, it was not nine thousand words; it was like seventeen hundred words. Yeah, we had some. If there's film studies, then it's a film study. I, I told Bill last night I'm excited to see his film study. He goes, "It's not really a film study; it's just I have a few uh, gifts in there to show." And I was like, "It's a film study." It's just not a giant film study. I don't want yeah. people to feel. Uh, Overburdened, but when they click on the link, you know what I mean. Theathletic.com yeah. slash four dash six gets you one dollar per month. Go read it. One dollar a month is amazing. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, it's basically free. Yeah, I do think uh, the, the way that the running back is set up right now, like Steel Chambers is the number three guy, and I think it's possible you see three running backs in the course of the opener against Nebraska. Ryan Williams would be the fourth because I don't think Marcus Crowley's healthy enough yet. Um, so it could be Chambers. Maybe that's like the layup question here. It's like the guy we've seen the the least of. Because even Trey Sermon, he's new in Ohio State uniform. But you can go watch him play at Oklahoma and get a feel for what he is. I think we know what Master Teague is. I'm not totally sure we know what Steel Chambers is just yet. Um, but I like if Mayan Williams gets into a game that's like a blowout in the fourth quarter and they're just trying to run out the clock with him, I think he can be fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Receiver. Receiver, I think, is Jamison Williams, and I think we, we touched base yeah. on this a little bit on Monday, but I just love how fast he is. I love his build and his makeup, and receiver, you could pick eight different people and make a strong case for it, so I think this is the hardest position group just because of abundance of options, um, but when you combine the fact that people are unprompted when bringing his, his name up in interviews and what he was in the recruiting process, he was a top 100 player. Uh, I think he is like Ted Ginn, who I think you could make a case as the best, most electrifying offensive weapon Ohio State's had in the last 20 years, and there are a lot of options in that in that discussion too. Um, I'm just like been really excited to see what he can do, and he's got the best nickname on the team, so that also puts you a little bit ahead of the game. And I think that they're in a pretty good position with with receiver, obviously, and you know it's so tempting to say G Scott or even Garrett Wilson, who you know I think we know what to expect from him, but. There, you can still pick him because you mm-hmm. can say he's going to take an overdrive step into becoming one of the best receivers in college football. I think that's an acceptable answer. Um, and there's one other person, too, and I don't really know what his status is because Jalen Harris so I, I wasn't at the practice that you went to. But he's I've not. been waiting for Jalen Harris to, to do something. And maybe it's just he's a senior now and it's not in the cards. But body type, he's made some plays on special teams. Like I always thought that there would be a time where he'd get into the rotation. So if he's still in good standing with the team and everything's um, okay on that end, I would really like to see like if there's anything that they can do to find a way to get him to contribute because I think he has, a, has the body for it. Juice Man's my pick. Um, Cameron Babb was another one I considered. Like If you can get on the field, I'm, I'm just very curious to see like what he is because he was another top 100 guy who's just had terrible injury luck. But it sounds like maybe he's progressing to a place where he might be able to get on the field this year. So I'm hopeful that can happen because it's because I'm excited to watch sort of what he can bring to the table if he is able to play. Uh, tight end. I think there's like one answer here. <laughs> you do? You think it's just Jeremy Ruckert? Well, I think it could be Ruckert. And we're going to talk about Ruckert later on when we do the tight end preview. I think it could be Ruckert if your idea is like, well, Ruckert become more involved in the offense. But there's only one new guy, and it's like Cade Stover. Yeah. And he's pretty athletic. He's... I think he's very similar to Rashad Berry, and it's not only because they made similar position changes. I think they're sort of similar, similarly athletic and have kind of the same skill set. And Rashad Berry and was a freak athlete. Kate Stover is too. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if people really know that about him, but Kate Stover is too. Um, and I don't know if maybe they mix him in in the red zone a little bit and maybe he catches a few touchdown passes. Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't play a ton and he's like very much the fourth tight end, maybe they work him in in the red zone and he catches like two or three touchdowns. I think that's possible. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about the tight ends in our preview later, and you know I know you're going to do most of the talking because it's also involving with all uh, involved with the offensive line, but Rucker would be my pick after what he did in the Wisconsin game that one handed catch. I just want to see mm-hmm. uh, a Kellen Winslow like tight end out there just just 
catching dimes across the middle and you know being a real weapon because I do think that it's 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 crazy and this is a annual joke and you even led your story about tight ends earlier this is another discussion about whether tight ends will catch a pass but with the athletes that Ohio State has had at that position I I do think that they have a chance especially with an offensive mind like Ryan Day to come up with a way to employ a running back the way Brevin Jordan maybe does at Florida or the way that you know real weapons at that position have been used at other college programs and like Rutgers is a five-star athlete who has it in him so you know, maybe there's just too many receivers, too many touches with the running backs, and of course Justin Fields carrying the ball maybe 15 times a game. If it gets to that point, maybe there just isn't enough touches to go around, but like I think that Rutgers could emerge too as another potential first-round draft pick. And at tight end, I think that's a hard thing to do. I think he's really good. That would be something if he became a first-round pick. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like really hard to – you know, it's just so easy. When you cover Ohio State, you just kind of say that all the time because it happens so regularly. And I, I want people to appreciate how much of a compliment that actually is because I'm not just throwing that out there. I, I do think that he has the the build and the makeup to potentially be in that conversation if he were to be used the right way. I just don't know if it's possible because there's only one football. Offensive line? Uh, I'll go first, and then I'll let you talk for an hour. Uh, I'll, I'm not going to talk for an hour. I'll go um, – Maybe there's only maybe there's a lot of answers, and I think that – you might pick a backup, but I just think Harry Miller is the, is the guy here. And, you know, he's a former five-star prospect and, you know, has waited a year to get into this position. But starting at guard now, uh, I think it's possible that he could become the next great Ohio State offensive lineman. And this is our first chance actually going to get to see him do it. So I think that he might be the obvious answer if you're looking for the layup answer. But I'm sure you're probably going to say Dewan Jones because he had really cool basketball highlights and is super athletic and might – get to see the field a little bit more even if he's not in the starting lineup did i did i scoop you there no harry miller's my answer too because i think he could be beginning a career that ends with him possibly being the you know one of the top interior offensive linemen in the country by the time his career is over and this is this is the beginning of it so he, he's my answer for that I, I think if you look beyond that if you look beyond the starters dewan jones would be at the top of my list um i also wonder about like when they were warming up um, before practice the other day and the quarterbacks and centers were just like doing their normal exchange it wasn't like in a live setting or anything they were just snapping the ball uh, Luke Whipler was like lined up I th- I'm, if I'm not mistaken Luke Whipler was lined up as the number two center now I think Harry Miller would be the emergency center if they needed one but um, of like all the young guys on the roster who might be ready to step up into a starting role next year like I've kind of have my eye on Luke Whipler so whenever the twos get into a game he'd be someone I'd, I'd keep an eye on DeWand obviously Josh Fryer losing his his black stripe so early as an offensive tackle is interesting. I don't know what that means for him this year. Probably not very much, but it could make you feel slightly better about the the long-term projections at tackle, particularly with what's going on at recruiting right now. But Harry Miller's the guy. Nick Petit is going to play a lot, and he's a former five-star guy as well. But um, I'm really excited to watch Harry and and see what he can do at left guard. This is going to be a really good discussion about the offensive line we're going to get into later in the podcast because I I want to throw some heaters at you about – the ability and you know we've seen Ohio State move centers to guards and vice versa so many times in the last five years but how natural of a move that is and whether or not uh, Whipler who was the number one center in the country I think might be the more natural fit there and just Harry Miller might just be the guard uh, long term even though we all assume that one day he would move back into center once uh, Josh Myers moved on so I think that's a kind of an interesting thing to discuss as we get to that so um I'm excited about offensive line talk. You want to take a minute and let that let that soak over you? No, we're already going way, way longer than I thought we would with this. Defensive line, quickly. <laughs> um, Tyreek Smith, and I know that yeah. he's a starter, but it just is, a, is the like and a turn on. And what was the question, the, the way they phrased it? Was it just breakout player? Surprise, surprise, yeah, breakout surprise. player. I don't know yeah. if it's a surprise, but at this point I'm just waiting for him to become one of the best defensive ends in the Big Ten. And he, too, has had some injury issues and has shown flashes of being really good. Um, and I'm really excited to see if he's finally healthy, whether he takes that step, especially now that he's probably going to get um, a lion's share of the reps at defensive end. I know that there's going to be a three-man rotation between Cooper, Harrison, and Smith, and it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out as they get into the groove of the season. But I just think Smith is the obvious answer here. I mean, there's there's another obvious answer, too. I'll see if you take him. Well, there's a lot of obvious answers, I think, on the defensive line because most of these guys we haven't seen very much of. Like, Zach Harrison played a lot last year, but he didn't really flash. Um, so you can obviously pick him. 
Tyler Friday on Wednesday talking about um, Tyreek Smith said something along the lines of like the way that Tyreek Smith is like getting off the ball right now is like a thing of beauty. And it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd sign up to watch that. Um, with this question, I went with like more in the interior because it's really thin. And if Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent are out for any extended period of time, and then you have Antoine Jackson, and then I don't know what behind him at three technique is your interior pass rusher. So I said Jaden McKenzie because he was like a top 200-ish player, right? They get a lot of these like top 200-ish defensive tackles that might take a little bit of time to pan out, but they kind of need him to step up right now. And um, I'm curious if he can kind of grab that and, and make something happen for himself in his, what I guess will be his redshirt freshman year. Because if he can provide any sort of interior pass rush, maybe they'd look to like kick an end inside before they would go to him. But if he can make any kind of move here in this camp, um, there's a lot of opportunity there for him to, to play a lot, I think, this year, at least early on in the year. If we would have done... And maybe we did this. I can't remember what kind of podcasts we were doing in March. But if you would have asked this question in March, I think the clear answer would have been Vincent. Yes. So I'm very curious to see how uh, things progress with him and whether or not he's actually healthy because they need him. <laughs> frankly, yeah. frankly, they need him. That position's a, l- a little hairy at the moment. Um, Larry Johnson said he was very confident, and obviously you expect him to say that. I'm uh, a little more skeptical. Uh, linebacker. What a messed up situation this is at linebacker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I think it's good that Ohio State has – so we're presuming that Ohio State has Werner, Borland, and Browning for this year and next year again? No. Pete Werner's going to the NFL for this year. Yeah. Okay. Well, they have the option to return if they want. And when you think about the talent behind these guys, uh, Gant and Mitchell, it, I almost feel bad for them because what are they supposed to do? And it's like the the blocks in front of them are are here for another year, and it's almost funny at this point. But my pick would be Taraja Mitchell. I think we've expected a lot out of him at Mike, and you know we've seen him in, in flashes, and I think he's looked really good. And I know it's hard to take seniors off the field, uh, but he's a junior now, and in any normal circumstance, he would be the starting uh, a starting linebacker on this team. And I think it's 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 time to wonder if the roadblocks are going to ever get in the way of letting these guys get onto the field. Because, I mean, what do you do? I mean, if you're in their position, I just don't, I don't even know what the rat, like I wouldn't blame them if they transferred. Cause what do you do? It's a tough spot. Uh, Mitchell's my pick too. I think as long as he's healthy, he will end up playing more snaps at Mike than tough Borland. Um, they'll rotate still and Borland will be on the field quite a bit, but I think Taraja Mitchell linebacker snaps. Pete Werner plays the most. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that Taraja Mitchell might play the second most. Maybe that's a little crazy. Um, but Baron Browning is going to be like at Sam, and they're going to, I think, rotate that position out some more than they did last year. Um, I want to say Kavon Pope, but I just don't know. Unless they play him like as a, as a true bullet, like we were talking about last year, I, I don't know if he gets on the field enough for him to be an answer to this question. But I think Taraja Mitchell is going to play a lot, and – Al Washington used the word explosive to describe him, which I don't think is how you would describe the Mike linebacker play over the last few years. Um, and I think he can change it. I think he can look different in that position, and I expect him to play a lot as long as he's healthy. When I hear the word or the term explosive for the linebacker position, one thing comes to my head, one player. Do you want to guess who it is? Tate Martell? Yes. Okay. He's Moving the first on. player that pops in my head all the time, no matter what. Moving on. Secondary last one. We'll wrap this up. Um, seven banks. Yeah, it's like seven banks and Jamison Williams are kind of similar. It's like, can they be surprise breakout players if everyone is talking about how awesome they're going to be before the season starts? But like, they have not done it yet. And if they match the preseason hype, then they will be surprise breakout players. I also want to so say, he's a, yeah, I, I, I think it's just along the lines of, of what we were saying about Harry Miller, but he doesn't have the recruiting rankings to kind of back that up. But I know I've seen people tweeting, and I think we even discussed this question on the podcast. Somebody might have asked it, but people think that it's possible that Seven Banks could potentially play himself into being the next great Ohio State corner, a potential for first-round pick. And like if that's the lens through which we're looking at him, then he's the only answer. Maybe Josh Proctor, who had kind of a rough go of it in the Fiesta Bowl and has been somebody that we've discussed in, in terms of athleticism and, and game-breaking ability, who you know didn't show that as much as we think that he can, uh, using that as a way to kind of propel himself to a really good junior year. That's another answer, but 
I think seven banks and, and what they need at corner after losing what they lost just fits too well in that category. The way Ryan Day was describing the safeties uh, last week, he was asked about, I think Doug asked him about Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor and how they're going to deploy the safeties and if they might play more with two. And he said they will play more with two. But then when he was describing the skill set of Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor, I kind of got a vibe that like Marcus Hooker might actually be the guy who is the deep free safety sort of in their base defense. And when they play with two safeties, that Josh Proctor would be the guy who might walk up some more and play in the box when they need it. Um, And that would have been surprising to me a year ago. It's less surprising to me having watched just sort of how out of sorts Josh Proctor looked playing the deep middle against Clemson. Now, it's a tough spot for him to be in, as I said before. They had not repped that look a whole lot last year. Really hard spot for a, for a sophomore to be in on that kind of stage, and maybe he'll get over that and he'll be the guy. But just the way their skill sets were described by Ryan Day, it sounds like maybe he likes Marcus Hooker a little more as that center fielder than Josh Proctor. So I put Marcus Hooker down as my pick for this like in case that happens. It would be pretty surprising to me if they go out on the first drive against Nebraska and Marcus Hooker is the deep safety and not Josh Proctor. I know we've already gone way too long on this, but I just wanted to say the person that I thought of at linebacker was Ryan Shazier. And I don't know if uh, Taraja Mitchell has the speed to play that way, but that's how I always kind of envision. I know he was an outside linebacker, but that's how I envision an attacking, attacking player at that position. And I don't think we've seen that in a few years. Yeah, I don't know if he's quite that good, but I think he can be. Yeah. Something between that and Tough Portland, for sure. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, you'll be shocked to hear that we're not going to get to every question. But we'll do this one. Who leads the team? This is from Andrew J. Who leads the team in rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns? Rushing yards. I got Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon. Rushing touchdowns. Master Teague. I got Justin Fields. Oh, Justin Fields. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was had, just 10 last, had 10 last year. Yeah, yeah, it's Justin Fields. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Justin Fields is the guy. Receiving yards. Um, Chris Olave. Yep. Receiving touchdowns. Garrett Wilson. I agree. KJ Hill had 10 last year. Olave had 12, but I think Wilson gets a little more work in the red zone than KJ Hill might have gotten last year. So I like Wilson in that role. Okay, here we go. Here's the best question of the the entire episode from Ryan M. Top three chicken wing sauce flavors. You know, I'm a little weird. And I think that it kind of actually has frustrated you as we've been in restaurants together a million times. But when it comes to chicken wings, buffalo is like my least favorite. I don't dislike it, but I like other sauces better. And I never – have you ever seen me order chicken wings with with buffalo sauce? Nope. I always get different types. So my favorite, depending on – I think it also kind of changes based on whether they're boneless or bone-in. But I really like uh, garlic parmesan is my favorite. I also like honey barbecue, and I love teriyaki. Those would be my three. My three are number three is classic buffalo. I do like that. I probably order that more often than anything else because um, I enjoy the traditional buffalo wing flavor. Number two for me is one that is not like readily available, but there's a place in State College, PA called Bill Pickles Tap Room. It's a bar, and they have uh, peanut butter wings. They call them, and it's it's a mixture of hot sauce and brown sugar, and some kind of spices, and then like a little bit of peanut butter. You don't really taste the peanut butter, but it changes the texture of the sauce a little bit. It makes it a little creamier. It's hard to explain, but it's really good. So hot peanut butter is my second number two, and number one for me is lemon pepper all day. 
I don't think I've I've been to Wingstop a lot. Is that a Wingstop flavor, or do a lot of people have lemon pepper now? A lot I don't of people really have really lemon, see lemon that pepper. very often, like as an it's, option. Yeah, it's 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 pretty popular, I think. But Wingstop's lemon pepper is legit. Yeah, I mean, I like all those things. I've never had Mr. Pickles Tap Room. <laughs> I Bill know that, Pickles Tap Room. Whatever, Bill Pickles Dollar B. Next Pickles. time, uh, next time, me and you go to a Ohio State Penn State game in State College, we'll go there. Yeah, well, I if there's some good pie there. That that place that you took me to a few times, that's some really underrated pizza. I really like that place. And I don't know if that's like the state college place for pizza, uh, but it does seem very good to me, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Permandy Brothers sucks. Next question. Ryan S., have you ever eaten an entire Crave case from White Castle? That's 30 sliders. I don't like White Castle. I don't like it either. I think I could if someone paid me to do it, but I've never done it, and I'll never try to do it. Yeah, it's not good enough. I would try chicken tender, chicken nugget challenges and things like that, but, you know, and and I would eat White Castle, like, if my back were against the wall, but as a fast food connoisseur, I never willingly go there. It's like Taco Bell, too. I know that's not a very uh, popular uh, take because a lot of people love Taco Bell, but if I'm driving in my car and I want fast food, I will, like, seek out... Uh, another fast food place if there's a Taco Bell or White Castle in driving distance. Next up from... I'm going to skip this one. The Tom Herman thing. Can we skip that one? Or can we do it quickly? Let's just do it quickly. Peter S. said, would you literally laugh if Texas fired Tom Herman and replaced him with Urban Meyer? I don't know if I would laugh. I think that's what they should do. Yeah, I kind of think it's what they should do, too. Um... Future Texas linebackers coach Billy Davis. Let me write that down. Let me uh, get reporting on that. <laughs> the second part of his question was: If UCLA has another bad year and fires Chip Kelly, what are the chances that he comes to Ohio State and works for his old mentee Ryan Day in some capacity? Do you remember being on the field after the 2016 Fiesta Bowl with Doug? We were shooting a video because I think Chip Kelly had just gotten fired by the 49ers. I remember it was we, were, like, we were doing a video about whether or not uh, they were going to hire Chip Kelly as the OC, and then they hired Ryan Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're more of an X's and O's guy, as I mention every single podcast, and I'm sorry for saying it so much, but I don't know how much Chip Kelly's offensive vision for what he tries to do even meshes with what Ryan Day does anymore. I think that he's his mentor, but I think Ryan Day's offense is a little bit more uh, influenced by what they did in the NFL and a little bit more run-heavy, but I could be completely making that up, so put me in my place if I'm wrong. I just think it's like this. It's not the same as they did in Oregon because they don't run with the same kind of tempo. But like Ryan Day's offense is a combination of like air raid and Chip Kelly, which uses a lot of air raid stuff and like some Kevin Wilson run game stuff. So like I, I just don't think there's anything Chip Kelly could come and bring a value to Ohio State because Ohio State does all those things already. Um, and I'd rather have Kevin Wilson as my offensive coordinator than Chip Kelly. But maybe Kevin Wilson. Why? Because you're a scorned Birds year. fan. I actually think uh, Chip Kelly was a decent coach for the Eagles. The fatal flaw was giving him personnel decision, control over personnel decisions, which is the fatal flaw with most NFL head coaches. Shout out to Bill O'Brien. Um, I thought he was a good coach, or at least he's, his tenure started off pretty well, um, and then he made a disaster of a roster. I do not understand why things are going so poorly at UCLA with him. I know we've got a lot to talk about, but I just do think it's kind of odd. It is odd. We can do that on the UCLA podcast. Sure. <clears throat> okay. Here's a question for Eric W. that will get us into our offensive line tight end preview, which is an interesting question I hadn't really thought about, and I don't know if my answer to it will be good, but I'll take a swing at it anyway. He says, a uh, question about the fundamentals of offensive line play. Wyatt Davis, by all accounts, is a stud, so my question is, why does he play right guard and not left? Is right guard considered more valuable? We all recognize that the left tackle position is the most important for blindside reasons, but I've never heard a solid argument in either direction about guards. I think it's a really thoughtful question, and I'm not sure if there's a, a, a right answer to it. I do think Wyatt Davis could play anywhere. If you look at his high school film, he was playing left tackle. So there is a, an issue of, of comfort level, I think, with right side and left because the steps are, are reversed and stuff like that, and it can be hard for guys. I don't think it'd be hard for Wyatt Davis. Uh, so the only thing I can think of is your left guard in this offense with a right-handed quarterback, your left guard probably gets more help from the center because they slide the protection that way to the blind side and leaves the right guard one-on-one a lot. And I would think you'd want your best guard in that position to be left one-on-one. So that would be my guess why Wyatt Davis is the right guard and not the left guard. Um, 
but otherwise that's kind of all I got it. I don't think there's a a really deep answer to it beyond that. I think well, can I, Davis can play other spot. Can I pitch something here? Yeah. Who are Ohio State's two best offensive linemen? That's a really good question. Wyatt Davis is definitely the best. Um, the second best is probably Josh Myers. I'd consider saying a healthy Thayer Munford. So if you consider saying a healthy Thayer Munford and he's the left tackle, mm-hmm. do you as an offensive line coach want – and we're gonna are we just going to go right into offensive line yeah. after this? Mm-hmm. Do you want your best players spread out on both sides – or do you want to go strongest on one side so that you have a, a, a very natural uh, running situation if you need short yardage? Because I think that also um, the fact that in the sliding thing that you just said is super interesting, but I also think, too, that if you are most comfortable with your left tackle when he's healthy, then you want your best offensive lineman in the guard role on the other side to give them a more versatile and more balanced offensive line. Now, obviously, you've got a strength point in the center there, um, and Harry Miller, I think, is hidden better at left guard. So when you have all these things across the board, it makes for a more balanced line that makes you more versatile in your offensive play calling, specifically in run situations where you need to pick up a few yards. Yeah, I think it, Harry Miller's protected a little bit by two very experienced guys. Like Harry Miller was the right guard, and he had Josh Myers inside of him, but then he had a new starting right tackle to his right. Um, I think that can make things a little more difficult on a first-time starter. So maybe that goes into it too. Um yeah, it's an interesting premise that I, I hadn't really thought of, but I, I, I think... Sounds like you got a story it, idea to me. <laughs> I think it probably... Yeah, it would be interesting to hear like Greg Stoudrawa answer it. Um, my guess would be it's kind of what you're saying. It's like you want to you want to balance it out a little. If you put Wyatt Davis at left guard and Thayer Mumford at left tackle, guess where the blitz is coming from every single time? Right. The other side. <laughs> um, but I think Ohio yeah, State's so offensive line in general, this could... this This offensive line... I think has a chance to be maybe the best offensive line Ohio State had since their national title run. And I don't know if it's 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 partly because of experience and and testimony and proof of, of being really good. I think your three main pieces between center, left tackle, and right guard are very good. And then the two guys who are mixing in at the uh, as inexperienced new starters at crucial positions are former five-star prospects who – were expected to be in this situation maybe even sooner in their careers and might be more seasoned and able to do it. So I think you might avoid with Nicholas petit or at least the hope is for Ohio State, uh, a kind of an Isaiah Prince situation where he comes in maybe a year too early and struggles a little bit, despite the fact that Isaiah Prince was a crazy good athlete. And, and then, of course, Harry Miller. I, I don't think anybody has any doubt whatsoever that that kid can play. So when I look from top to bottom, I don't really see a glaring weakness. And then on top of that, you have some really high-end prospects and some versatile um, talents behind them that can plug in any holes that you need to. I'm very excited to see um, what Enoch Vamahi can bring. And I think that like when they originally recruited him, he wasn't even supposed to be here right now. Would he have been back from the trip, from the mission, or would he have been on it now? No, he would have been on the, the plan was come for a year and then leave for two and then come back. So like so the fact that gone. they have him in the mix as a depth piece, I love what Juwan Jones can do from a, just a, a pure size standpoint. And, you know, Matthew Jones is a, is a, was a really highly rated prospect. So from top to bottom, depth-wise, and what I see from the starters, I think this is a really good offensive line. I think uh, we, there's a question from Chris M. who said that Pro Football Focus had Notre Dame as the number one offensive line in the country after the four weeks or whatever it's been of the season. And he said, how do you think Ohio State will measure up once they start to play? Like, I, I think that's out there for them that, to be the number one line in the country. And it, like that's Pro Football Focus's grades. There, there are a million different ways to, to try to gauge that. And in the end, it's probably hard to really figure out who is actually the best. Even the Joe Moore Award last year like went to LSU, I think. And I actually don't think LSU's offensive line was that good. Um but they won the award because they were the offensive line on the best offense. Um, I do think Ohio State's offensive line has the potential to be the best in the country. Like, best that we've seen here in a while. I, I always go back to 14 because that was my first year. And by the end of that year, that line was really good. But I've also heard people say that the 13 offensive line was awesome. I wasn't around the cover of that team. But that was like Taylor Decker was the right tackle. Um, like, Andrew Norwell was there. Um Corey Lindsley, whom there was another guy, another uh, Jack Mehort. Like there's there were, that's four NFL starters I think on that offensive line. Um, 
So that was a pretty good group, too. Yeah, so if you go I, back I, and watch that 2014 line in the playoff, man, it's really hard to beat that. Yeah. They were that, blowing people off my, the ball. Yeah. yeah. And, it, like, last year's line was really good, too. But they had some flaws, I think, in pass protection that doesn't always – it doesn't just fall on them. Like, I wrote a story about this back in June or July, I think, about why Ohio State gave up so many sacks last year. And part of it was some shortcomings with the offensive line. I think some of the interior guys just, like, kind of overshot sometimes and got put in bad positions. Thayer Munford wasn't healthy for much of the year, and I think that showed up. He allowed 20 pressures last year, which is a lot, but I don't think that's indicative of the kind of player he is. I just think it means he was hurt. <clears throat> Brandon Bowen was going through some injury stuff, too, so they were never really all that healthy at tackle, which plays a major factor, obviously, in your protections. And Justin Fields, I think, needs to grow, too, because – he held onto the ball a lot and took sacks he didn't have to take and, and allowed pressure to get to him when there were openings for him to throw the ball. And that's all growth from a young quarterback, and, and I think that'll happen. So I don't look at the 31 sacks they allowed last year and think, like, oh, that's going to be a problem again. Um, I, I think there are reasonable explanations for why that happened, and I think it will improve. I actually think their run blocking could even be a little better this year because I think Nick Petit is a more athletic option at right tackle. And – I don't know about Harry Miller compared to Jonah Jackson. Jonah Jackson I th- thought was pretty underrated last year, but Harry Miller's got the, the five-star pedigree, so I guess you, you assume that they're a little better at that position. I think it's going to be really good. I, I do think it's going to be the best offensive line we've seen here, at least since the Urban Meyer era started. Um, and I agree with you on the depth. Like There there were questions about recruiting, and Stud had to make, make over that room a little bit. But with Vimahi and Matthew Jones, even Gavin Cup is there, and – Dewan Jones is versatile. Paris Johnson Jr. is a guy we haven't mentioned yet. I don't think he starts this year, but but he's probably the first tackle in if they need one. Um, it's really good, and I think it looks decent for the future, at least the next year or two. Um, we've talked about the recruiting before and how it needs to improve a little bit, especially at tackle, but that's more of like a two- or three-year down-the-road proposition, I think, for the next Two years especially, they're in a really good spot with the offensive line. Imagine getting this far into the podcast talking about offensive line and not getting a Paris Johnson until the end. I mean, that's like a yeah. really good sign of, I think, where this line is. So what is your – we do the comfort level 1 to 10. Where are you at with the offensive line? Nine. Yeah, I think I'm at a nine too. Um, I might be at an eight, and that would only be because of Thayer Munford's health. He had like back issues last year, which is kind of a red flag for an offensive lineman. Now he's had a lot of time to rest and recover from all that. If he's healthy, I'm at a very solid nine, I think. If he's not, I, I fall back to maybe an eight. Um, but I feel really good. I feel I felt pretty good about their line last year going into the year because it seemed like Jonah Jackson was meshing well with them. I feel kind of significantly better with this group than I felt with the last group going into yeah, the year. Yeah, and I think the reason why I stay at a nine, despite the fact that he had some injury concerns, is that I would feel very comfortable getting Paris into the game, but they had to. And yeah. they might not be ready uh, to be what he will be by the time he gets uh, inevitably drafted. But that's one hell of a piece to have if if you're looking for somebody to come in and, and help out through an injury. So, like, I really like their depth. I, I, I like everything. I think that they have a chance to be the best line that Ohio State's had since 14. Yeah, and it makes me feel better. I'm not super high on what they have at running back, but – um, just on that position in general, but I am not overly concerned about it because of how good I think they'll be up front. The one thing I want to say, and I've been meaning to say on this podcast, and I know this is the offensive line preview, but as it pertains to the offensive line and run, I just wanted to say that Master Teague's body is insane. <laughs> I mean, he was always built well. I, I went and wrote a story about him when he was still in Nashville in high school and got to know him a little bit, but man, I saw a picture of him from practice the other day. I'm, that's like... Would you say popcorn muscles? No, popcorn. Pop, I said popcorn muscles is a joke because popcorn muscles is something you say about somebody who's big for no reason. Um, oh, he's I, not big. He's not big for no reason. Oh, I didn't know what that. I, th- I mean, it does seem like he's got biceps. Like I, mean, I don't know. The guy looks like he's completely jacked and looks like he has an NFL body to me. That's the only point I'm trying to make. So sorry for misunderstanding what the term popcorn muscles meant, but <laughs> the guy looks like he got popped. Like I mean, like he's he's gigantic yeah he's all he's all shredded up that guy yeah Um, whose trainer is that i need to sign up for that guy yeah arnold schwarzenegger maybe yeah um (laughs) tight tight end i don't think we need to spend a ton of time on i i'll I'll ask you two questions to kind of get a vibe for where you think the tight end position is going first one is they played with two tight ends about a fifth of the time last year 21 percent of the snaps 
and maybe we asked this already, but are you anticipating that they do that less this year? It's hard. I would anticipate that they would do it less just because of the sure talent they have outside. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to – on one hand, it's awesome to have the options if you're Ryan Day. But on the other hand, it's like so frustrating because I think that Farrell and Ruckert should play more than 20% of the time together. You know, I mean, they're yeah. both really good. They've earned that. And it just – I think they have too many guys. And I know it sounds like such a stupid too thing. Too many to good say. players. Yeah. Is that a problem, Ryan? Do you think it's it's an obviously it's not a problem, but it's frustrating because it's easy to get excited about a lot of people and it inevitably isn't going to reach your excitement levels because there just isn't enough time to get everybody involved. So I would my guess, my gut feeling based on that question would be less. I think it's a little less too. Um and maybe part of that too goes to how good I think the offensive line might be. Maybe they ran a lot. They ran a ton out of those those twelve personnel looks. It was like seventy six percent of the time. Um, maybe they feel better about their ability to run it effectively without two tight ends on the field, and that impacts it as well. But I think it'll be a, a slightly less. I still think we'll see it, and I hope it expands. Um, I hope they throw more out of those looks, as I wrote with the film study piece last week or the week before. Um, but I think it becomes a little less a part of the offense this year. This is not a story about throwing more to the tight ends. It is not, except it actually was. Um, I tricked everybody. Jeremy Ruckert last year had 17 targets. More or less for him this year? More. How much more? 25 to 30, maybe. Not 25 to 30 more. I think he'd be in the 25 to 30 25 range. to 30 targets. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think almost I double. Can... I mean... It is, yeah. It's kind of insane. Like Ruckert had 17 targets, and Farrell had 11 targets, and then Hausman and Barry had five combined. Like They didn't even look to throw a ball to these guys last yeah. year. Um, I don't, it just feels like, I don't know, Like we're going to talk about it until he's gone, but it just feels like such a waste to not throw the ball to Jeremy Ruckert more. And I do think his targets go up. I don't think he's going to explode and be like their second leading receiver, but I do think maybe Justin Fields becomes a little more comfortable throwing the ball over the middle of the field. And Jeremy Ruckert gets, you know, eight to ten more targets because of that and ends up with like 25, like you're saying. I yep. think I can get on board with that. Uh, comfort level one to ten with the tight ends. Eight? Nine? Yeah. It's, I, don't it's know. Like a, I don't know. Like, I, what would you be aware, uh, worried about? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about anything. It's like. Ten? It's like a ten if if the role in the offense changes and you're just like holy shit look at these guys look at them look at them utilizing utilizing the tight end in a way we've never seen no before. no no I take it as a way of rating your comfortability and them executing what they're asked to do yeah if it's that if that's the case and it's probably like how could it be anything, anything other than, than ten like nine nine or ten yeah I don't want to um, give tens for eight out of the ten category <laughs> I give it a tens. ten ten <laughs> we haven't done we haven't done defense yet we'll yeah we're not going to have any tens on defense I don't think. There'll be, there'll be fewer tens on defense, but I'm pretty high on the, on the tight ends as well. And I think it's an indication of just the fact that Ohio State's offense is positioned to maybe be the best in college football. So, like, that's that's the ratings that you – the only position that I actually have long-term uh, concerns about is the running back position. And even that is seems to be in good shape because they've got some options. And combine that with the transcendent talent at quarterback, enough talent at uh, receiver to, to f- be the – farm system for the AFC North and then <laughs> you know an offensive line that you can run behind I, I just I don't know where the weakness is on this offense you have to say running back because there has to be one but even then I think they'll be fine yeah they're they're pretty solid on that side of the ball less I think less I don't want to say they're less solid but I am less confident in their solid I have less confident in their solidity on the defensive side of the ball mm-hmm. um, and we'll get to that in the next couple episodes Aiden K who pissed off Cam Martinez with a mailbag question he asked me last week in which he said he wasn't impressed with Cam Martinez. Cam saw saw that, Aiden, by the way. Um, He asked this question I'm fascinated to hear your answer on. If you had your choice between a five-star raw athlete or a top 150 kind of prospect who was a much more polished football player, who do you take? The thing I don't understand about this question is, is are there five-star raw athletes? Zach Harrison. Then I'm going to take Zach Harrison. Yeah, it's like, I mean, would you like, rather you, have Zach Harrison, about? Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith? Tyreek Smith, yeah. I'm taking the five-star prospect over anybody all the time. And I don't know if that's like not just because of the brand thing. It's just 
there are 32 or 35 of them a year. And for them to get into that category, they have to be doing something that's more elite than other players. And I think now at this point in the recruiting world with how many analysts they have and how many camps they have and all the film study and how much goes into actually rating these players, the uh, accomplishment of making it to a five-star prospect I think is even more impressive than it was even five years ago. And if you go back, and this might be actually be a a good story idea. Maybe I'll write it down. But if you did and added up all the five-star prospects and, like, put them in a category between miss, exceed, or pass, I wonder if the exceed or, or pass ratio is higher now than it was for the five-star prospects in, like, 2010. Probably. So, like, if you get to that point, not all of them pan out. Injuries happen. Things happen. It's football. But if you get to the point where you're a five-star prospect and you're one of the top 35 players in America – then you're you're in a pretty rarefied era as, as far as I'm concerned. Now, you want a class that has a lot of both of these, and top 150 polished football players are like the the players that Ohio State's built on. You know, they have what like 15 or 16 five star prospects, and that's a lot for an individual roster. But Ohio State's entire roster, for the most part, is polished top 150 players. So I'm not diminishing their importance and what they mean, but if I had to pick one or the other. You go with the most elite possible athlete that you can at a position, and if that person is a Zach Harrison type athlete, then that you go with it. You know, I, I don't know if that's even a debate. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Yeah, I think the like the the other way to frame it would be like, do you want a guy who might be able to play for you right away, or a guy who's going to take a year to get on the field, but then the second and third years are like first round draft pick worthy? And obviously, I think you'd take you'd take the year of development if the payoff is first round draft pick for two years. Yeah, yeah, I I, I just feel like the raw five star athlete, I guess, needs that year of development because they don't they're not a polished player. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because it's like those raw or those five star athletes are the ones that are usually most ready to play now I mean Tony Grimes is a cornerback in the 2021 class he reclassified now is playing for North Carolina like two months after committing to them like I think what these guys are able to do at that level when they've reached that rating is a lot better than it used to be that's that's the only thing I'm trying to say yeah I think that's true but there there are 30 to 32 depending on the recruiting services every year I don't think all of them fall into that category and I think there are some that are ranked as five-star prospects based solely on like athletic potential and not necessarily football acumen um and when you get that kind of guy it also probably depends on the the position too right for sure yeah yeah i think so but i still i think you take the yeah if the options are five star and anything you take the five star yeah i mean that's yeah speaking of that go leave a five star on the podcast reviews please please we're begging you um James A. asks, why is Larry Johnson's success with defensive tackles not matched his success at defensive end? Which, like, I read it and I was like, I don't think that's true. And then, like, it is true, but it, like, starts at recruiting. And maybe you'd be a better person to answer this. Like, they've got, they've been able to land the five-star defensive end elite pass rushers. With the exception of, really, Teron Vincent, they have not been able to get the five-star defensive tackle. And even when they do, it's like, the five-star defensive tackles usually are like these big, like 320-pound, freaky athlete, squatty nose tackles. And, like, those guys don't really fit with what Ohio State does in their four-down defense. So I think a lot of times they don't even go after those kind of guys. Um, but in terms of development, like, I think some of the best development that Larry's done has been with the defensive tackles. Like, Devon Hamilton being a third-round pick is really impressive. Um, Draymond Jones is a third round pick after moving in from defensive end. So I, I think, think the, maybe it's the successes. Yeah. Like I, I almost wanted to say it's possible he's done a better job with tackles than ends based off how the re- recruiting rankings of when guys come in, but maybe that's not true either. But I don't know if there's like a huge gap here that would like leave me concerned in any kind of way. I think it's probably just as simple as they had Bosa and Chase Young. <laughs> and it's like easy yeah. because those guys stole the show. And I think it's much easier to be a flashy defensive end than it is to be a flashy defensive tackle. 
And I know that there are certain, like Aaron Donald is one of the best players in the NFL, and watching him play is a pleasure for everyone. But it's a lot harder to be a standout defensive tackle that, like, is sports center worthy, uh, other than, like, coming off the edge and strip sacking somebody. It's just a much different position, and I think it's it's twofold. One, they've gotten three transcendent once-in-a-lifetime prospects at defensive end in the last 10 years that have gone on to reach the potential that they had in high school. And then, of course, two, it's just easier to look good at that position. So I don't know that that's true either. Um, Santan Valley Buckeye left a five-star review with a question about defensive linemen that I was going to get to, but I also think we can just save and we'll do on the next episode when we preview the defensive line because, like, his question was a major crux, I think, of what we're going to talk about then. Okay, yeah, so thanks for that. doing that, though, Santan. And, and, you know, we actually look at those and use them, so we appreciate it. For sure. Um, another one from Apple was from Bucks Fan one two four five three, and these are back to back playoff questions. With the Big Twelve looking exceptionally bad this weekend, who do you think is most likely to be the number four in a playoff this year? The loser of Alabama versus Georgia or the Pac twelve champ? I was talking about this on Andy's show last week, and what are they? Are we sure right now, or was it our show? Do we talk about the Pac twelve in the playoff? It was uh, our show. Are we sure that they're going to that seven game season is enough to get in? It's like, are there is there questions with that in, in terms of like the Pac-12's late start date and what they might be able to do? I think only if everyone plays all of their games. Yes, if not, then uh, Andy Staples tweeted the picture of mayonnaise at you. Yeah. Um, if everyone plays all their games, yes. If you were to assume that not everyone is going to play every game they have scheduled, then I think it becomes less of an issue. Andy on our show said that he would eat a spoonful of mayonnaise if Pitt lost to NC State, and I told him not to do that. Landis, are you looking at this picture? Mm-hmm. What spoon looks the biggest, three or four? Uh, I'd go three. Really? I was thinking yeah. four because it would be a harder thing to gulp down because it's a little bit deeper. Two's pretty deep, too. I don't know. This is this is this is not a visual medium. <laughs> okay, just go just go with the biggest spoon, I guess. Okay, um, I don't loser know. Loser of Alabama and Georgia are a Pac-12 champ. I think it's a loser of Alabama and Georgia. Well, it depends on whether or not the loser of Alabama and Georgia has more than one loss. Right, but if we're to assume that that Georgia, if Georgia has one loss, I would assume that it's a second SEC well, team. Well, the problem with Georgia and Alabama is they play in the regular season, and if they play again in the SEC championship, yeah. then how do you weigh that too? I don't know. Maybe it gets so convoluted that the Pac-12 champ does get in. What do you think? Uh, do you think that a Pac-12 champ should get in? I don't think, like offhand, they should not because they're only playing seven games. Um, because, like, the Big Ten's only playing one more game, and I think the Big Ten should have a shot to get in. So, no, I, th- I think there's. I think you could put a team in depending on the scenario. From I the think Pac-12. this is the year that Oregon's going to get in. It'd be funny if it was. Maybe we'll get Ohio State, Oregon after all. I know that's what I'm saying. I, I I think that if the only way that it's Alabama, Georgia is if they if, if they split the series. Yeah, if we're assuming that Oregon's seven and zero, and that might not happen, but I think that I would lean more towards the Pac-12 champ just for diversity reasons than I would seeing a third game between the same two teams potentially yeah. in the playoff. So I would lean towards Pac-12. Question from Charles P. Do you believe that an elite quarterback, either a first-round NFL draft pick or a guy with a crazy college-specific game like Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, is an absolute prerequisite to winning a national championship in this era? And then he said, I think the answer is yes, based on the last four years with Deshaun Watson, Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. Do you agree or disagree? And if you agree, Alabama and Georgia are out in all capital letters. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know if that dude's been watching Mac Jones play. That guy's yeah. rifling that pigskin over there. Yeah, and Mac Jones leads the country. I looked this up in passer rating yards per attempt and is completing seventy five percent of his passes. Yeah, he's pretty good, and his receivers are awesome. Yeah, I uh, I think that it is though, Bill. And didn't we we talked about this in July? I think that our friends over at two four seven had a podcast. Bud Elliott and um, who was it with him on his on their show? Uh, Barton Simmons. Barton Simmons. That's right. And they remember the analogy they did. Was it uh, fighter pilot or bus fighter driver? pilot and bus driver? Um, and you need a fighter pilot to win 
at the highest level in college football. And if you go back and look at the recent past, no team without a transcendent talent has won at all. Now, obviously, we um, are looking at Clemson, who didn't recruit at the highest level and still won with those quarterbacks. So I think it shows exactly um, how much those matter. Um but I don't know that I would necessarily agree that Alabama and Georgia are out because they're so early in the season. It's possible that their quarterbacks are better than we're giving them credit for. Matt Jones legitimately could play himself into being a first-round pick, right? For he sure. Keeps this up, yeah. Like yeah. I, I think that you have to feel good about the idea that Trevor or that uh, Justin Fields is your quarterback at Ohio State because he much more fits into the category that you you suggested. And I do think that without an elite-level quarterback um, at this level, it's impossible to win a national championship. But if you're ever going to overcome it it's going to be by having like insane amount of talent everywhere else and Georgia's defense is nasty and Alabama has enough receivers to field a team in the NFC North right like <laughs> I mean their their receivers are nuts and I think we have a question about that don't we or uh we had a question from uh Gene Nilly about how I didn't put it on this list but he asked about how Ohio State's offensive backs stack up against Alabama receivers which is a fantastic question given we haven't really seen Ohio State's offensive backs but I love where he's coming from like I, I don't know like their receivers are really good they're really fast, um, and I don't know, like, the speed in Ohio State secondary, I'm not totally sure of just yet. Like, Jeff Okuda could fly. I don't know if Sean Wade can fly. Sean Wade's big, and he's athletic. He's long. I don't know if he can fly. Cam Brown can fly. Maybe seven backs can fly. Yeah. Cam Brown will be the fastest guy on the team. Um. I agree mostly with the premise of this question. I think you need like an explosive passing offense. Now, I think you can get away with being something a little lesser than the quarterbacks he's talking about. And I think the perfect example might be like what Florida is this year. Kyle Trask is really good. Like he's he's does a good job of getting the ball to his playmakers, and their passing offense is is kind of insane right now. And, and Kyle Pitts, their tight end, is a big part of that. But I think like Kyle Trask is a step below Deshaun Watson, Tua, Trevor, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, um, Kyler Murray. You know those, those kind of guys. But I think he's good enough to get you a national championship with weapons he has around him. He's more similar to a Mac Jones, I think. So, like that, I would not consider either of those offenses out. I'm just trying to think. Like, what do you think the ceiling of a guy like Stetson Bennett is? Do you think it was just like overreaction to one awesome game that Georgia basically overpowered the opponent athletically from top to bottom? Or do you think there's a chance that somebody like that could get into that category? I'm not sure. Um, ask me when they play Alabama again in two weeks. God, their I offensive wait. line. I cannot wait. Their offensive that. line destroyed Auburn. They got a good rushing attack, and their defense is insane. Like their defense, legitimately might, might be like the best defense in college football in a decade. It's so good. You know that uh, Dave Ubbin looked this up. I think in their last 22 drives, uh, Georgia has allowed nine points and has <laughs> scored 10 or something like that, or scored 14 or something. It's some crazy absurd. Their defense has scored more than their offense in the last 22 drives. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if anymore you can win a national title with that. And I would say that I'm not a believer in Georgia's offense at the moment being good enough to win a national title. Um, but let's see what they look like in two weeks when they play back. It was kind of fun to see uh, Kendall Milton run the ball at the end of that game, though, didn't it? It's a, I always kind of enjoy watching players at Ohio State recruited heavily and like really getting a good look at them at the college level. And that kid's a stud too. Yeah, they got Zamir White, Kendall Milton, and um, Cook. Right, Dalvin Cook's little yep. brother. Who looks exactly like him? Yep. Um, yeah, they got they got some nice running backs there. Decent, like I like George Pickens, and not just because he's on my Debbie team in fantasy football. Um, they have some weapons. It's just a matter of is the is the quarterback dynamic enough? Like Jake Fromm had weapons, I and mean, he wasn't quite dynamic enough to get him there. Yep. I don't know if Stetson Bennett is any more dynamic than that. Um, two more questions. Tyler S asked for our top three beers, and also if either of us have heard from the Jets. Have you heard from the Jets? Not heard from the Jets. I haven't heard from the Jets either. Um, you're not a big you're not a big beer guy. You know, I I don't know if this is podcast whatever. I um, when I was an early drinker in my early 20s, and you know, when you're in college, you just drink all the domestics and you know try to be cool and drink a lot of vodka in front of girls and, and try to be a badass. But like, I never was like a seasoned like IPA. I need to have like a beer tour and try and buy 900 beers like some people are. And if that's your hobby, it's a fine hobby. I you know enjoy it, but it's never been my thing. I find IPAs to be quite bitter, and I don't really enjoy them. But one time when I was 22 years old, I went out to a bar with some friends, and this was the night before the Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis. 
and we were drinking and like i had no idea what i was drinking they were just ordering beers and they ordered shimay you know what that beer is mm-hmm. and i was drinking them like miller light because like i didn't know like what i was doing and let me tell you guys something that's a hangover that even at the age of 33 i still think about i felt like i was like needed to go to the hospital and ever since then like dark beers and and beers of that nature have kind of grossed me out as a result of i think overdoing it that one time in my early 20s so my favorite beer on earth and everybody's going to roll their eyes if they're a beer connoisseur is um bud light lime i find it to be very easy to drink and super refreshing um and i drink it all the time on vacations especially in the sun and i get mocked for it by everybody but like bl lime is my beer and like if i'm at a restaurant i don't think there's anything more refreshing than an ice cold glass and like a a Miller Lite, Coors Light, or Bud Light just on draft because I find beer to be better on draft. But in terms of like, well, here are my, my three favorite beers. Like I can't like name. One time I had to drive five uh, 100 miles out of my way in Syracuse, New York to pick up Bill, some sort of high harpoon microbrew or something that was only sold in six liquor stores in the Northeast. And like I'm not like that. So you're probably a better person to answer that question. I like domestic light beers. I'm not a beer snob. I don't I don't turn up my nose at, at a nice uh... – domestic light beer my favorite beer is yards pale ale and it's a brewery in philadelphia and it's probably shocked <laughs> yeah that's you know I on brand could have seen, <laughs> seen that one coming um stone ipa is one i find myself drinking quite a bit i do like ipas and that's probably the one i drink the most um but if i'm pounding them like if i'm drinking all day i go to bud light i got them i'll drink I, you know i like the, the the best tasting beer on the planet there's two things the best tasting beer two best tasting beers on the planet are the first Bud Light after you've pounded like eight IPAs because it changes the flavor of the Bud Light. And the second best tasting beer is Natural Light from a keg. The best tasting the, beer is the ice cold Bud Light you drink on Friday at 7 o'clock. The one after yeah. a long week. That's the best beer. It's a Friday beer. But I'm not – I'm not I'll, – I'll, I'll accept beer in all forms for the most part. You take, I do you enjoy You pound nine IPA, eight IPAs at the beach? Oh, yeah. If I'm at the beach – yeah, I sit down in my chair. I have uh, probably twelve in the cooler, and I don't leave until all twelve are gone. Look at and you. it doesn't take that long. Did you just describe your? It doesn't. I feel like no. if I had twelve IPA or nine IPAs, I would die. It's no, like I'm good. so harsh. It's like a hard. I feel like it's hard. Isn't it not hard to drink? Like if you open up a Bud Light, it's like you could drink it like it's a can of soda. It's so easy to drink. The flavor's light, and I think the buzz from three or four light beers is like a pretty nice buzz. And, like, to me, my entire 20s vacationing with my friends, all we ever drank was Bud Light Lime because it was cheap and it was easy to drink and you could pound them all day without getting sick. Yeah, I'll go to Cape May Brewing Company and get a nice Cape, sixer of Cape May IPA, two sixers of Cape May IPA, Cape May IPA, stick them in the cooler, use the ocean as my bathroom. It's a solid day. Yeah. <laughs> use the Las Vegas pool as your bathroom like me. <laughs> my best oh. day of my life was um, – Honestly, one of the best days of my life was when I went to Las Vegas with a few friends about five years ago, and I went to the Caesars Palace pool. And the cool thing about Caesars Palace is they have blackjack tables in the pool, so you can play and gamble while in the pool, like the stools are in the water. And if you're gambling in Vegas, fun fact, they bring you free beer. And the table minimum, I think, was 15 bucks, and I was hot that day, and I was just sitting there with my friends, and they were bringing Bud Light after Bud Light after Bud Light, and it was beautiful outside. And let me tell you guys something. I was sitting on that stool for about six hours. I didn't get up once. And it felt like there was – I don't want to be graphic, but, like, it was like that was my bathroom. I, there was nothing on earth that was getting me out of that seat, especially because right. it's $61 beer day at the Vegas pools. I feel bad for the people who were sitting next to you, but they were also using the pool as their yeah, They were my so. best friends they can deal with. <laughs> you're, all, you're, all, you're all a happy family there. All right, last question here. I like this one from Ryan H. After years on the Ohio State beat with countless articles and podcasts completed, what is the most annoying question you have to answer? Or what question are you tired of answering? Anything having to do with whether or not JT Barrett could have won a national title at Ohio State? And I think part of the reason why you hate that so much is because of my reaction to it. Yeah. I think people wonder. I think the question that you would be sick of hearing is: Should have Haskins played the year before he did? Yeah, any 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 variation of that. I don't know if I have one. We get a lot of um, over the last few months. There's been a lot of which freshman receiver is going to be the best. 
It's like I don't like I don't know. We can guess. I mean, they're excited about that. If people are excited, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. bother me. Like I, it doesn't bother me. It's like I just don't have a great answer. I hate it. silver lining crap. I hate like terrible thing happened, but what's the silver lining thing that happened? And there's a lot of stories that we see about this side of thing. It's like insert player here. What was his hardship? Where is he now? And why was the hardship the best thing that could have happened to him? It's like no bad shit just happens sometimes, and that's it. And if you're fortunate enough to come out on the other side on top, then good for you for making it through it. But I don't ever like downplaying the seriousness of terrible things that happen because they do all the time. Yeah, and I think that's more. Well, well, the one thing too, I also will say, Bill, is I can't stand the constant need to say that the next version of something is going to be better than the great one that it was already. Everybody always asks, like, is this going to be better than last year? And like last year, they had three players at that position group that draft. No, it's not. (laughs) It might be good, and it might be good enough to win a national championship, but it's just hard to. Uh, to constantly be the best version of yourself every single year, no matter what. Ohio State has been worse at a lot of position groups since 2014, and it's been better at some, and that's life. Yeah, you can as long as you're good enough. In the end, that's all that matters. You don't have to constantly like, keep one-upping whatever happened the previous year. Yeah, and usually they're good enough, except for when JT Barrett was a quarterback. You did it to yourself, man. You do it to yourself. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap up there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Um, again, theathletic.com slash 4-6 gets you subscribed for $1 per month, and you can ask questions for future episodes. Apple five-star reviews, questions with those, we'll answer those. Uh, we're, we got four more shows until Ohio State kicks off against Nebraska. One of those shows will get our Nebraska beat writer Mitch Sherman on, talk a lot about the opponent and the Buckeyes opener. I think we want to do some over-unders before the season starts, have a few more position groups to get to, and of course uh, we'll get some more of your questions in, and then we'll have game picks, maybe some like season predictions too uh, before the opener on October 24th. But thanks for listening to this episode of 4-6 to 6 with AMB, and we'll talk to you guys next week.